However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. Right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you enjoyed this past week's episode with Rob Bartlett, uh, a name that um, probably brings back a lot of memories to folks who are fans of Raw back in the 90s. Uh, he was an original member of the very first Monday Night Raw broadcast team. That's right, with Vince McMahon and the Macho Man Randy Savage and Rob Bartlett. And we had a great conversation. Awesome to hear his version of that time in the WWF, a WWE, right? Uh, but he was really in a tough situation. A, a total outsider, uh, I certainly could identify, very much out of his element. And Vince often did that back then, bringing people in from the outside world. Todd Pettengill was one of those people. Uh, you all remember that uh, experiment with Art Donovan, the 1994 King of the Ring tournament. Vince liked to mix it up. I mean, remember Zeus? Zeus came in and did a, you know, after the movie with Hulk. But anyway, Rob lasted with the WWF for about 13 weeks, I think he said. But he said he said he, that he really enjoyed doing it, and who knows if he would have stuck around? Uh, who knows what might have happened? But he uh, went on to have a very successful career, still at it. Uh, did all those years with Imus, and then of course has been on Broadway and done TV shows. But it was really really uh, fun having him on, and uh, we're going to be seeing Rob again very soon. You know, a lot is happening with PTSM, especially if you're a Patreon member. We've got another watch-along come along. Rob Bartlett is going to be a part of it. We're going to do the very first Raw. Uh, we got the idea from doing the podcast with him, and he's on board. So uh, I believe that's coming up April 7th when we're going to watch that very first MNR. And it should be fun. And if you'd like to be able to watch along with us for free, if you are a PTSM Primetime Sean Mooney Patreon Mooney or perhaps a Legion of Who member, you watch it for free. This is one of the many perks that come with membership. Uh, if you're not a member yet, uh, it is very easy to do. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. But uh, don't miss that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Time out here to welcome David Lackey, who is now a proud member of the Legion of Whom. Uh, thank you so much, David, for joining us. And you're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. we got a lot coming your way. Uh, joining PTSM this week is a man who both uh, was loved and loathed by wrestlers and fans alike, still to this day. 
And I don't think he'd have it any other way. He's been at it for an, uh, a long time now, decades, and is undoubtedly the most cited source of the history of professional wrestling with his Wrestling Observer newsletter as we welcome Dave Meltzer. And, uh, you know, Dave, I remember when I was with the WWF and there was this this newsletter that came out every week with you know the pages front and back in this very, very tiny type. <laughs> And a lot of people uh, at the office, though they wouldn't admit it, couldn't wait for it to come out uh, because not only did it have all the scoop about the WWF, uh, it also had news about all the other big wrestling organizations around the country and the world. I mean, he would cover you know uh, happenings in Japan. And, you know, Dave, I always wondered how in the world you got all that information. I, I know you, you talk about, you know, you, know, you had tapes. And then uh, also you had this network of people all over the place who would call you, including wrestlers, um, that would tell you what was happening. But uh, really, how, how did you do it? How did you decide uh, what you were going to put in that newsletter every week? Mm, that's a, I, I don't know. I mean, it was just, well, you know. You <laughs> I just, mean, what kind of hour stuff. weeks were you putting in? Oh, geez, hundreds, 100 plus, wow. well over 100. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't sleep much. And I wrote, and I was on the phone. I mean, I took breaks here and there, but, you know, yeah, yeah, 100, I would wow. say. You know, that's, that sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Oh. Well, um, and uh, I know you mentioned this before, but like I said, I don't know what that audio is going to sound like. Um, so but tell me about your sources, like people that were out there. Were these just people that went to different matches and also wrestlers who would pick up a phone after these matches were over and call you? Yeah, both, both. Um, I mean, fan perspective, I would get from fans, and uh, wrestler perspective, I get from wrestlers, and promoter perspective, I get from promoters and bookers. So, you know, you're getting everyone's. You know, I was definitely getting everyone's perspective. You know, and uh, just uh, yeah, you know, and just business perspective from the people in the business. So it's um, it was a lot, a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, I was going to say though, it had to be. I mean, to develop that network. Uh, I mean, how did you do that? I, it, it just uh, amazes me to think. I mean, just how much was going on? Plus, like we said, overseas, and you've got, uh, was it just time and just consistency? I think in the 80s, in the early to mid-80s, it became like the, the thing that everyone read. So at that point, it wasn't, you know, and so many of these people were subscribing, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard, it, you know, I mean, it's like, you'd think that like, you know, like there's this perception that, and, and a lot of the guys didn't like it, but they still read it. But, you know, the younger guys, especially, you know, I say this, the younger guys in the business in the eighties, just like the younger guys now, um, are way more open to it because it's like they grew up with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a bad thing. The older guys. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the older guys in the eighties really hated it and the younger guys liked it. But in time, the older guys, you know, I know from talking to them, it's like, man, I used to hate you. But now that I look back, you know, uh, that was kind of silly. And the other thing was, is as they got older, I was, I'm really interested in history and good with history. And it's like, I could remember what these guys did when, you know, I think that when you get to be like 70 or 60, even, and you're out of the business, they think it's kind of cool that people remember what you do, you know, did in a fond way as opposed to forgetting. So a lot of those guys, you know, then, then they became, they kind of turned around in time. You know, I think most people turned around. Um, 
It's it's interesting. I mean, and, you know, there were definitely people even a lot. And, and there, again, it's mostly previous generation that that was real negative. And there's some people negative now, but that's also because they've been really, you know, there's it, it's some of them have been really, uh, you know, people rile them up on Twitter, and there's things like that 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 get people mad. But even then, that usually dissipates in 36 hours. So, I don't know. And, and and Twitter's just a weird thing. It just like, uh, you know, it it's just it changes things, but. In the long run, um, you know, when you, you kind of realize it and, and realize what it, what it is and what it isn't, um, it's nothing that really bothers you. You know, it's just um, it's a wonderful thing, and it's, and it's an annoying thing at the same time. Well, but when you think back in the day there, and you, and you mentioned it here with the generations, um, you know, we're talking old school, and you had generations of, you know, families, Sons were coming up, especially in the 80s. We had people like Bret Hart and uh, you know all these guys, Greg Valentine. And they came from wrestling families. And so you can understand the resistance back then because of the kayfabe. Um, well, I, you know, here's, here's a funny story with the, with the Hart family. Yeah. Stu and Helen Hart always, always liked me from uh-huh. day one because they, Stu loved wrestling news, you know. Um, Owen Hart, Ross Hart, you know, Bruce Hart were all friends of mine. Uh-huh. Brett which is funny, you know, was not. But, you know, you know, after 1997, you know, I mean, and, you know, we had met a couple of times, but no, he didn't like me. And then after 1997, you know, we, when we got to know each other, you know, we, he completely changed, you know, and then, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, if he comes here, you know, very often we'll visit with each other and stuff, yeah. um, you know, and we email each other and things like that from time to time. So it, it kind of changes, but yeah, like, um, yeah, it's just it's like that's a perfect example of wrestling. But Stu, I mean, Stu was always so nice, and and you know, Brett used to tell me about how he would get so mad because he didn't like me, and Stu would be sitting at the uh, Sunday uh, breakfast table, and um, they'd be reading the Observer, him and you know, <laughs> Stu and Ross and everything. And Brett was just like, you know, he was on that on the, on the road, yeah. and 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 you know, just he didn't like that someone he didn't like that they were listening to so so heavily. Yeah, and why do you think that, um, you know, there was kind of both sides to it? Because a lot of the wrestlers, you said there were some that would call you and give you information, and others that were just, you know, got no way, can't uh, give it up. Uh, what do you think what the two sides were on there? Because it was a great source of information to know what your competition was doing. Yeah, and you get the gates and everything like that, yeah. which, which everybody everybody wanted to read how you know business was in different cities and different you know different companies and everything. Um, I, I I think it's the the ones who read really liked it, and the ones who you know just got caught up in you know exposing the business until they no longer got caught up in it. Mm-hmm. You know, then they then they were negative. But once once they kind of accepted that the world had changed, then they weren't so negative because there was no reason to be negative, really. If you think about it, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, baseball, you know, and, and, and it's no different from anywhere else. I'm sure that there's like uh, baseball team managers that hate the local newspaper and there's baseball team managers that love the new local newspaper. And it probably depends on when your team's winning and the team's losing, yeah. you know? So, and that's the same thing with wrestling. When, when the team's winning, you know, the, the press is usually pretty favorable when the team's losing. And I'm kind of pointing out, you know, why business is going down. You know, I think a lot of people don't want to read that. You know, as far as like if, if if they themselves were involved, and I was always kind of just you know trying to figure out where the business is going. That's always been the thing. I mean, it was really impressed upon me very early on by the original people who like taught me who were you know. And I really learned from promoters more than I mean I, I 
you know, I mean, if I look back in the early 80s, it was the promoters who, who talked to me and tried to explain why they did stuff and everything. I really tried to learn, you know, so I, that's how my whole thing of like how business is doing has always been like so important, like not how it's doing now, but where it's going. Is business going to go up? Is business going to go down? How the world is changing affects business. I mean, that's the stuff that fascinates me. Wins and losses is cool, you know, yeah. and cards are great. But, yeah. but the big picture is, you know, the big picture is, is like what's happening in the world with the business and can more companies survive and, and um, you know, how are profits and things like that. And that's what I've always covered the, the best, really. So how did you get those gate numbers, though? Uh, and, and how did you know they were accurate? Because if you're getting them from somebody who's a promoter, he's going to try and you know, jack them up to make well, you think they're doing better. How did you, how did you get that information? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, you know, it's like with the, like the WWE and everything. I mean, they would call me every morning and, and give me this, what we did last night. I mean, that's another thing that people had the perception, like they hated me and they may have, but uh-huh. they did call me every morning and give me the gates and the merchandise numbers. And, and, really? you know, I was able to double check with them because a lot of arena people read the observer and still do, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. And I would just, and I was able to check. And, and like I say this for WWE, when they were giving me gates personally, they're always to the dime. Yeah. So I, I can believe that because I, I checked and, 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 you know, they were. So, I mean, and, and funny because they would give me numbers that were different than the numbers and they would say on TV and, and all the time. And I remember the conversation I had with Vince and I go, you know, this was after a WrestleMania. It was not WrestleMania three where this conversation took place. It was actually the one in Anaheim. Um, where they announced like 18,800 and, and then Vince or Vince's people told me, you know, whatever the number is, was like, you know, 16,000. It's like, what's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And it just goes, what we say on television is for, enter- you know, the numbers we give on television are for entertainment purposes and we're going to give you the real numbers. And then later they became a public company. And once they became a public company, as far as they didn't release show by show, although they did to me for years, but, but, you know, they released the actual numbers that are now public numbers, and at that, you know, you're not, you're not giving. Oh, I, I do have to say, the gates are legitimate, and the attendance averages they put in their documents are legitimate, but the numbers they say in public are still not always legitimate, <laughs> and anyone who does very simple math can figure that out. I mean, it's funny because of WrestleMania, you'll, you'll, they'll give you the, the, the number, the, the average for the month, and then the average without WrestleMania for the month. So you, it takes about 20 seconds of math to, to subtract. And you, get, you don't get the exact number, but you get the number within you know, a few hundred. And their number is usually 10,000 up. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, even their own documents, if you use a little bit of math, you can kind of see where you know, these things are. Although, you know, so it's, it's just kind of funny in a lot of ways. What was their incentive, though, to give you those numbers? I think because... I think because WCW did first and they were in a wrestling war and both sides in that period yeah. were both trying to make sure that I, I, I would say, I think both sides wanted to be nice because it's the middle of a war and I was influential and um, they wanted to, um, you know, not think that they're the ones who are just, uh, you know, being aloof, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's much better to, Look, it's like any other business. It's, it's, you know, and again, I'm more like a, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's like what, what, um, what advantages the movie industry to giving the numbers to, you know, the box office numbers at the movies. It's like it's just what they do yeah. or, or, you know, or the UFC or whatever. It's just, 
it's it's part of journalism in a lot of ways. WWE in, in a lot of ways is um, years and years and years, decades behind um, when it comes to this stuff. Although they are catching up, but you know, I mean, that's that's basically it. So you met you mentioned Vince. Um, what has your relationship been like with him? I remember that, and I was trying to think about what year it was, but I remember you came to uh, Hamilton Avenue one time. You were doing a uh, tour, a visit. Yeah, 91. 91, okay, and you came over to the studio. And I always wondered what that visit was about. Was it Vince trying to make nice, trying to influence you? Was <laughs> Were you th- thinking of coming on board? I, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. no it, Never? it was... Um, no, I mean, Vince and I were talking, um, you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and get mad, and, and then he'd not get mad, and we'd talk, <laughs> and we wouldn't talk. You know, yeah. it was one of those things. Yeah. And then, you know, once he just goes, um, you know, I'd like to invite you to come to uh, Connecticut. And, and as it turned out, I mean, it all worked out because it was, it was SummerSlam weekend. Yeah. And there were friends of mine who got me tickets to SummerSlam, and it was in Madison Square Garden that year. So it was basically, I think, the day before or two days before. So it just, the, the, the timing worked out. So then I went, and then Vince called a lot of other reporters. You know, originally it was just going to be me, and then Vince said, you and Steve Beverly, who was another reporter, and then I actually suggested, well, you probably, because, because the other really good reporter at that time was Wade Keller, so I, I told Vince, I go, you probably should also invite Wade Keller. And he ended up inviting a lot more, as it turned out. Not a lot more. There were probably about a half a dozen others. But, but that was, yeah, that was how that trip happened. Huh. Well, and, and you know, that would have made sense because you've got people, I mean, the same way you do with the press. And you had guys that were, you know, very legitimate journalists as far as reporting what they, uh, on the entertainment side of this this industry but it was so it was just kind of amazing that they were the enemy the way they looked yeah yeah, yeah, yeah the enemy. but you know i mean it was funny because on that trip you know they introduced me around uh, to to every you know all the executives and we went into everybody's office yeah. and got to talk to people i met ed cohen there who i'm sure you remember yeah oh yeah and um and he was so nice and then i mean I had never met him. I knew the name, obviously, um, you know, and I saw his office and how everything, and he's the, the arena guy and the business guy. So it's like, he's the guy who I'm going to have a lot in common with. Mm-hmm. And actually very short, very soon after that, we had a really good conversation and, and got along. I never talked to him after that. And then one day Vince goes, you know what, you know, I want you and Ed Cohen to be, this is funny. I want you and Ed Cohen to be friends and, <laughs> and he's going to be your guy. And if you got any questions, uh, you know, he'll ask me what the questions were, you know, are, mm-hmm. just go to, you know, call him anytime. He's going to call you and whatever, anything you need to know. And so, you know, and people were always like, how did, you know, you know, you know, who's the mole? And it's like, I mean, and, and Ed wasn't the only one. I mean, there were a lot of other people. And, and, but the point is, is that me and Ed Cohen being friends, Vince set that up, yeah. you know, I mean, that wasn't like Ed Cohen going rogue and, oh, yeah. I'm giving you the secret information. It's like, Vince goes, Ed, you're the guy, you deal with Dave. J.J. Dillon, you're the guy, you deal with Dave. You know, and there were other guys like that. This is, the, I, I had that, and it's still to this day. Oh. It's always been like that. That's funny because... Well, not always, oh, not always. There yeah. were periods, there, there have been periods for, you know, a year or two where that isn't the case. But yeah. for the most part, since 87, consistently, that's been the case. That's really interesting, though, because I remember, you know, at least my time there, and I think it lasted... Before I got there and after I, I got there, it was always like, who's the guy? 
Who's the who's talking right, right, to you? Right, right, you know? right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I remember one wrestler. I was at a UFC show, and a wrestler was there who I didn't really know. He's a big name. I don't want to indict him. Yeah. A real big name, like yeah. like Top. And he just kind of like laughed to me, and he just goes, you know, everyone wants to know, you know, where you get your stuff from. And he goes, and I know it's indirectly from Vince. And I go, well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's funny. And did they ever try and get you to come on board? To, like work with a magazine? I mean, I, mean, I, I would say never a hard sell. I mean, as far as soft sell, a couple of times, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you but were... never like, it, it would more be, it would more be, um, okay, we need help in creative. And they just mean, they did this actually once with Brian Alvarez, who's my, my partner. Right. Um, they came to they came through me for Brian once too, um, but it was it would be um, if you call and you ask for this and this and this and this you could work here and it's like uh, I don't want to work there mm-hmm. you know it's it's that wasn't ever a goal I wanted to be a reporter I didn't want to be in the business so it it like literally there was never any serious talk but over the years at different times. There were feelers sent to me, yes. For yeah, so, sure. But you were never tempted. You just you always liked the idea. Of no, this. I was never. I could say I was never tempted for a second. It was never. I think that if I was like broke, um, <laughs> and I, you know, you know what I mean. That, yeah. But but I was always doing well enough to where it was never a temptation because it was never a goal. Yeah. And you know, it was like you know you can make more money here. It's like I'm I'm doing fine. And the one thing is, if I go there, I'll probably end up getting fired. I mean, I never even thought of it that deep. It was always like, <laughs> I'm a reporter. And that's, that's it. I'll always be a reporter. I don't think that's ever going to change. So work, you know, it's just not like working in the company. is just not going to, uh, it's not what I ever wanted out of it. I never wanted to be that part of the business. I wanted to be the part of the business that I am. And I've always been, you know, happy with it. And it's, you know, and now it would be you know, impossible for a million reasons, but you know, no. So, I mean, like, you know, like, yeah, there's been, been stuff, but if you said, have they ever made you a serious offer? The answer would be no. Yeah. Have they ever asked you to ask? Yeah. Then the answer would be yes. Yeah. So uh, a big part of, of, uh, the newsletter and, and was e- even huge back then is the, the star system. And, uh, people yeah. say originally that was uh, Jim Cornette who kind of came up with that right. idea. But right. uh, how did that really all come together, and, and uh, what started you doing it with the matches? Okay, so when I started doing the newsletter, there was a guy, there was another newsletter called Weasel's World of Wrestling by a guy named Norm Dooley, who I actually copied him. I mean, I, I copied Mike Tanay in the 70s. In the 80s, I copied Weasel's World of Wrestling, Norm Dooley, because he was so funny, and I was like, man, I would love to be able to be as funny as him, which I never was. <laughs> But that was like kind of like the goal. That's why if you ever read the old observers, there's a lot of wisecracks in there. Yeah. And now the, the, there's humor. I do real inside humor for a few people who will get it. But it's, it's, and I, I don't do a lot of humor now. But, um, but then um, I did a lot of humor. And Weasel, one of the things the Weasel's World newsletter did was star ratings for matches. So I didn't, and Norm Dooley was, was best friends with Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. But I, so I actually didn't know until years and years later it was Jim Cornette who came up with the idea. But it was in the Norm Dooley newsletters. This is how he rated matches, and I just copied the system. Um, it was never mine. It was never a, like a, a, a cut-and-dried system because Norm Dooley, um, you know, and, and Norm Dooley was I, – I, I wish everybody could see those, those issues because other than Cornette, I don't know if anyone alive still has them, but they were some of the most funny and incisive uh, writing on wrestling as far as like the late 70s and early 80s that there was. So what, what is the system? How does it work? 
when you when you're looking at a oh, match. Oh, I mean, okay, so 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 dud is a totally worthless match. Negative stars is like an offensively bad match. <laughs> one star, one star is kind of like it's there. Um, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Two stars is fine. You know, two stars is a normal match. Yeah. Three stars is a good match. Four stars is a great match, and and five is like okay, this one's you. Anything really over four and a half in the old days, I would say four and a half and up. It's like let's consider this one for match of the year now because the talent is is so into having great matches. It's it's the mentality so different. That's how they get noticed is having great matches. Now, like you really have to be like five stars to get to um, match of the year qualities. And then there's been a few matches I've rated above five stars because Norm Dooley's highest ever was a six and a half, I think, or six, yeah, six and a half, um, or six and a quarter, something like that. So I never really, I didn't go above five until, Norm Dooley went above five in, in early, in the early 80s. I didn't go above five for any match until, uh, uh, God, I'm thinking 89 Flair Steamboat, um, the, the one in Landover, Maryland. Yeah, that was worth it. <laughs> and then, um, and then a couple of Misawa Kawada, and, and, and um, I think there may have been a Japanese women's match that I went above five for. And then a couple of years ago, with um, I hadn't done it for, for like you know, 15 years. Or, no, yeah, maybe 15 years. Um, and then I did it for Omega and Okada Tokyo Dome, and people short-circuited. Which, at the time, I watched it, and when that match is over, it's like, okay, this is one of the three best matches I've ever seen in my life. So it's not a five-star match, it's a six-star match. And then they improved on that in their in their subsequent matches, so that made it even harder. I, I mean, it was like such a joke because it got to where my friends would come over and we would watch Omega Okada, uh, every Omega Okada match after the first one, and when it's over, it was always the same thing. It's like, what are you going to rate it? And I feel sorry for you because people are going to lose their minds. because And they, they all knew that it was like these were the best matches they'd ever seen. And as you go, like, people are going to, you know, it's like, I feel sorry. It's like when Kenny Omega and Okada have these matches, it's like we watch it and it's the greatest matches that we've seen. And then we laugh for a week because everyone goes after Dave for saying that. So that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of what happened, I guess. But is there criteria? I mean, do you do you have things like you know execution? Uh, you know, it's all there. It's staging. It's, you know, it, or do you just look at entertainment? Not, um, definitely looking at entertainment, crowd reaction, um, execution. Um, I'm really into storytelling, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's, which is funny because everyone thinks I'm into moves, but I'm not adverse to moves either. There are some people who just like hate moves, and it's like, look. If moves get the people going crazy and they're doing a moves match, um, then I and, and I like it, then that's good too. I don't I like like you know again I think a lot of people I think and this has to probably do with my being a big fan of lucha libre, mm-hmm. which is a completely different style. Yeah. And I love great lucha libre, just like I love great American style and Japanese style. But um, so so if I see something that's like a, a essentially a great lucha libre match. A lot of people go, ah, there's no psychology, there's no reason they're doing all this stuff. And sometimes I think that too, but, and, 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 that, and if I do think that, then I'm not necessarily going to rate it that high anyway. But if it's like building the crowd and taking the crowd, the whole thing is taking the crowd on a ride, yeah. you know, through your, through your match. Some people, there are some people who take a crowd for a ride just on the fact that they have such incredible charisma, and that's not the same thing. Like, like Hulk Hogan, just an example, who is one of the greatest no, most charismatic guys I've ever seen in life. Um, but when he would do matches, it was basically formula. He would yeah. do, you know, yeah. and it worked. 
I, you know, I wouldn't knock it. You know, if it was badly executed, I might. But, but, but the whole thing was, is, to me, those aren't classic matches. There's, it's, that's just straight formula. Yeah. You know, you're 10 minutes, you do this, you do this. And it's not bad, but I yeah, wouldn't say, leg. like, this is the greatest match I've ever seen. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes those matches get incredible, incredible reactions because of the charisma of the person. I'm more into the matches getting great reaction based on what they do in the ring, like taking guys who are um, average charisma guys, or not even better than average, but the match starts, people are kind of into it, and taking them to where at the end they're going crazy, as opposed to they're going crazy from the start because this guy comes in and tears his T-shirt off, and he knows how to keep the crowd. And, you know, I mean, Hogan's a master, and I'll never deny that, but I don't think like Hulk Hogan matches are, are classic wrestling matches. I don't even think he thinks that. And, and other wrestlers never did either, you know, back in the day, because it was always like, you know, people would always compare Hulk Hogan and Flair, and, and I think everyone kind of knows the difference between the two of them. They're both, they're both great at what they did. Hogan was the bigger, more charismatic star. Flair was the, the great worker who had the great matches. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that, and they both, go down in, they both go down in history, and I think, that they're, I think that they're both very satisfied with that thing. I mean, you know, Hogan will tell you, if you ask him, that Flair was way better than him, and Flair will tell you that Hogan was a much bigger job than him. It's just, and 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 they're both great for the, yeah. they're both great for the business. Mutual respect society. That's uh, definitely true with them. Um, you know, Dave, did you uh, along the way? I mean, you really have. I mentioned at the at the top of uh, the podcast here that uh, you really be, have become the historian of professional wrestling. I mean, uh, Conrad and, and Bruce's job would be a lot harder uh, with their podcast if they didn't have. The newsletter to refer to, but did, was that uh, something you ever planned on, on, you know, basically being the historian for professional wrestling, or did it just happen along the way? I think it happened along the way, but I did. Um, so Paul Bosch brought me to Cauliflower Alley Club in the '80s, and this would have been very early yeah. um, when I was doing the newsletter. And he introduced me to all of the wrestlers, and these are guys. Every one of these guys, from you know Buddy Rogers and and and. Uh, Clara Mortensen, who's probably a name no one's ever heard of, who was actually the world women's champion before Mildred Burke, who's another name that probably people haven't heard of. It was actually one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would introduce me to these people, tell me who they were. And I think because Paul was an older guy at the time, you know, he, he always impressed, you know, like to, to learn, you know, to know this business, you have to know the history of the business. And I've also been very lucky that, that the best historians in this business are guys who ended up being my friends, like Steve Yohe and, and people like that. Um, so I always had, like, go-to guys who just, these guys would go to the library and go through the old newspapers in the 10s and the 20s and the 30s because wrestling was covered really big in those days. Yeah. You know, people don't know that. Like, they think, you know, oh, my God, you know, like, um, you know, there's the, the, the stories and, and whatever. It's like, you know, these sports sections, when, when Jim Londos or Strangler Lewis came to town, I mean, this, these guys were... Um, you know, the, the cream, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say LeBron, but like someone said, like, um, what was the, what was the comparison? They said there was nobody like then that would be equivalent to Michael Jordan, but we did have, um, uh, Charles Barkley's like Stranger Lewis would be Charles Barkley in the, in the sports scene in the twenties. Like in the sense that he's a major, major, major figure. He was not the major figure like Jack Dempsey or Babe Ruth, although he was, talked about in their category, but they were way ahead of him. So those guys, um, they, yeah, those, those guys really influenced me and would say, you know, they, they send me stuff. And, and I always wanted to read it because I always want to know the history. And history is really weird in wrestling because 
you know, you read 10 versions of history and they're 10 completely different stories. So you kind of have to, everyone's got their own interpretation of them. So yeah, wrestling history is tough because, you know, unlike baseball and football and everything where it's really written down, um, wrestling, yes, it's written down in the twenties and thirties because of the newspaper stories, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, you know, the newspapers didn't necessarily very often go behind the scenes and wrestling is so much about behind the scenes. So the behind the scenes wrestling stuff, is very much open to interpretation of what was going on. I would say probably, you know, through, I would say the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, because the people, you know, I mean, it just wasn't written down what happened. So you're relying on memories. And I've known even, you know, even from your own memory, you know, it's like, yeah, you remember things pretty close, but then you'll read back. Like I'll read back at, at something. And go, oh yeah, I did forget that detail, which is actually sort of significant. Yeah. Well, and it is, it's amazing though. You can go back, uh, decades now and it's hard to think that it's just been so many years now but really you can find out what happened in in great detail pretty much any night at any event that has taken place and uh yeah and it's it has happened i I guess it's it's funny you say it happened along the way but uh that's what that's what's happened and it's pretty amazing because everybody refers to it now yeah yeah and it's great for research of course people with their agendas (laughs) <laughs> you know, try to change history, you know, I mean, it's, and, and there are usually people who ended up failing in the business, you know, you know, try to blame other people, but you know, that happens too. So, well, do you, do you enjoy the, uh, I guess back and forth? I mean, with, with Eric, uh, Bischoff and, and Bruce and, um, Bruce, okay. So, so Bruce, you know, it's, it's the funny thing. It's like, I haven't really talked to Bruce in a while, mm-hmm. but I, I do. I, and I, I don't listen to the show regularly, but when he was doing the stuff on the um, on the WWE Network and a couple of shows, like people go, well, this one you need to listen to. I listen to him, and I find Bruce really entertaining. So yeah. I, I don't have any like animosity, but Bruce is, you know, Bruce is Bruce. He's going to defend Vince. He got his job back with Vince, yeah. and you know, I think that that's what that's the tact he took. Was it, you know, it, it ended up. I think it ended up being shtick very quickly. So it's just like the shtick, ah, you know, you know, uh, plans change or whatever. Which God, everyone knows plans change in this business mm-hmm. on a. Anyone who ever worked in WWE on Monday, on a Monday, can tell you how plans change regularly up until that show starts. But, um, but yeah, with Bruce, it's like I, I, you know, and I can I've known Bruce since he was, uh, you know, in his early early twenties, yeah. and um, yeah. we, you know, and so, and I talked to him when he was in WWE and things like that. So I don't really like, I don't think I don't know Bruce. I think is doing it all in fun. Um, people will talk about Shivani, and I know Shivani's—it's is, just stick, and he's openly admitted it. And I, you know, I like Tony Shivani. Bruce, I, I don't—you know—I'm entertained by Bruce. You know, sometimes it bothers me, but you know, most of the time, and, and it really doesn't. I'll just say, like, look, Bruce's own co-host will tell you that they're doing an entertainment podcast yeah, and his co-host. Exactly. You know, and I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about—you know—he has nothing negative to say about me um, on a personal level for sure, and so I don't really have a problem, Eric. Eric's a, you know, Eric's a different, a different piece of work. Um, just a bitter guy. And, um, you know, he, he, he was very, you know, and I'll, I'll always give Eric credit for certain things. Um, you know, Eric did usher in the modern era of television with Nitro. And the Monday Night Wars were an amazing time, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. They also went down, which, you know, and, and it was nobody's singular fault they went down. It was a group thought. But... The thing with Eric was is that is that there was a book written that you know Eric uh, 
and Kevin Nash and Hogan and um, Vince Russo were kind of like the villains in the book. And I didn't write the book, but as far as factual accuracy, it's, it's Brian Alvarez wrote it, who's like one of my best friends, and he's my partner. And the book relies on factual numbers all the way through. This is what happened. This is how the gates dropped and all this. And that's like the basics of the book. It's an excellent book, okay? And Eric legitimately thought I wrote the book, and I didn't write the book. And I remember when, you know, he, you know, he didn't find out I didn't write the book until like a year ago, and it hated me for like 15 straight years with a passion because he thought this book, he thought this book we ne- which he never read, by the way. He's only on the, he just knew he was on the cover of. So that was his, you know, agenda for hating me. And no, he's he's not a good he's not a good human being in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, you can see the difference. You know, if if um, you know, I mean, you can you, you know, if you ever see the stuff Bruce will say, you know, I mean, Bruce is all it's all in fun. You know, whereas with Eric, it's I don't think it's in fun. But um, you know, that's his cross to bear. It's yeah. not mine because I don't I don't really you know. I don't really worry about him because he's, you know, you know, history is history is history. And like I said, Eric's a fantastic television performer. When um, they've made Daniel Bryan GM of Raw, I mean, or SmackDown, I should say, a couple of years ago, I told people, I go, I hope Eric gets that job because of all those guys, Eric is so good on television. And so people, he's too old now. It's like, ah, Eric will be, Eric will be great. They picked Daniel Bryan, which actually, because of who Daniel Bryan was, was the better choice at the time. I don't even know that Eric was ever under consideration. It was just like, who would you put? They're going to announce general managers of both brands. And I just thought, man, Eric's just sitting at home, and, and he's a great TV performer. So, I mean, I'll have, you know, again, there's a lot of good stuff I could say about him, and I will, you know, as far as his role in history. But, you know, it's, it's, he, I got very different opinions of him overall. Yeah, but I really, I think that you mentioned Bruce, you, you know, and Eric and Tony. I mean, they're just, they're all great entertainers as far as I, I see it. And, and, uh, and, oh, I, you know, I it's like, like I, and Eric I, too, I, like, I think I like, that, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I, I like Tony and I was really happy to see him come back on MLW and he does a good job there. And, um, you know, he's a voice of a lot of people's childhoods and he's good. You know, I mean, he had a bad run at the end of WCW, but everyone did. Everyone associated with that product. You know, you're trying to show for a product that's just going down the tubes yeah. And every announcer there took, you know, like credibility lumps. So if you're an announcer and the company is just terrible, um, you're become a, you become a bad announcer. If you're an announcer when the company's on fire, um, you can be, and, and you're good, you'll be a good announcer. You know, you can still be a bad announcer for a good company, but, um, but if you're a good announcer with a really bad company, you, because you're trying to sell angles that make no sense, yeah. it's, 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 it reflects badly. You know, it's just unfortunate, just unfortunate, really. Yeah. Well, I, I think it. Uh, I think that we're blessed that we have these guys out there now doing these things because they really have revitalized a lot of the business. You know, people being interested in what happened in the '80s and the '90s, and uh, I think it's just great to see. Um, I, I, but looking ahead, and you mentioned AEW earlier on. What do you What are you seeing uh, ahead for the business? Do you like what you're seeing? Is it uh, Is it in flux? I think, as you said, uh, that you, it's, it's a wait and see. I mean, it's it's got to be a wait and see, and I mean, it's really like so far for the so far they've had a few at bats. I would say, you know, they did the All In show, which was not AEW, but it was the guys who were doing AEW. Right. That show was a home run. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They did. Um, they did the um, um, on on you know the, uh, the the announced some some of their announcements and things like that that mm. got a lot of interest. Then they put tickets on sale for the Vegas show. Yeah. That was beyond a home run. That was something that like I mean. 
except for WWE, there's never been a demand for tickets in this country for a show like the All In Two that's in Vegas. I mean, the number of people who were turned away on the first 30 minutes of ticket sales, you know, it was 30,000 people that yeah. were um, over 30,000. You know, just, well, right at 30,000 probably. Yeah. But um, no, it was actually over. Okay, they, so anyway, they need a bigger venue. <laughs> yeah, they need a bigger venue. Yeah. But the point is, is that's another, so that's, that's a home run. But yeah. they haven't run the show. And they're going to live or die. The history of that the company is going to be written on television. We don't, you know, how are you going to do whatever the TV is on whatever this, do they get a station, be a station that pays? Everything, you know, based on what is going on, everything feels good, okay? But you still never know, like, as far as, like, where they're going to get TV and what kind of exposure and things like that. It feels like it's going to be good, and it's going to be good, you know, good for the industry, but in, in the end, it's up to the fans. I know that they have a very fervent fan base of a certain number of people that you know will will go to these shows and will fly across the country for these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have millions and millions and millions of fans like WWE. Nor do they have to. But they do have to get um, whatever the number is. You know, whether it's a million, and I don't know. You know, it depends on the station you're on. You basically have to get. Whatever are competitive numbers for the station that you're on, you need to get that number. You know, whether it's five hundred thousand or three hundred thousand or a million five or a million two or whatever, but depending on what station and what time slot, you have to be able to get that and keep that that kind of a number. And we don't know. You know, we don't know if that many people are going to watch more wrestling um, in t- in t- the end of 2019, early 2020. Um, so again, like, you know, they can go in on, on this May 25th show. And, and, and have, you know, it's already sold out. They're going to, if they go out there and have incredible matches, everyone goes, this is an incredible show like the first All-In. I mean, that's great, and it's wonderful. But in the end, if they had drawn 4,000 fans and the show was good but not great, in the long run, that doesn't make a difference. The, the real difference, it's, it's a momentum difference, but the real thing, the game really starts when they start on television and if they get uh, – they are do well enough to where they can get paid for television rights because that's the name of the game in every sport is what you get paid for television rights. Mm-hmm. So it's up to them to be able to draw enough viewers on a weekly basis to where uh, you know, television stations want their show and are willing to pay good money for their show, and that funds the company, and then they'll be around as long as those TV deals are around, just like with Vince. Vince is not about selling tickets to house shows. He's not about pay-per-views. He's not even about the network, although the network's important. Mm-hmm. He's about selling these television rights, and that's why WWE as a business is so incredibly, incredibly successful and will be for the next six years, no matter what they do, as long as these deals are in place, whether the product itself is good or bad. You know, and then a lot of people don't like the product, and there's, look, I watch on some Mondays and I don't like it. I watch on some Tuesdays and I like it. I, watch, I love some pay-per-views. I hate some pay-per-views, and I'm in the middle on some. But in the end, it's not about, you know, like like last night's show didn't sell out. Oh, my God, WWE's doing terrible. No, they're not. They're, you know, if they, if they're about TV rights, and the TV rights are guaranteed money, and they're guaranteed until 2024, the end of 2024. So there's nothing to worry about business-wise with WWE when they're getting $470 million a year from U.S. TV, and God knows how much they're going to be getting outside the U.S. between India and U.K. and Philippines and Canada and Mexico and all these other countries in the world. But why, why do you think, though, and you've seen this company for as long as it's been in existence, uh, why do you think they're, they're struggling 
creatively now and that and that is they are from everybody and why why do you think is it cyclical or is it something you know we've seen it go up and down uh, they don't have any competition or is it just bad creative i think it's too much television that they're trying to fill it's the chicken and the egg they are in a position where they're making so much money but by producing so much product and making it so hard to keep up they're burning the audience out that's why the ratings are going down mm. because they but but financially, they have to produce this much product. So they're producing too much product. It's, it's actually something that's, if you study the history of television, it's consistent with, you know, with, with, and this is like whether it's game shows or talk shows or sitcoms or whatever, what happens is something gets hot. And then when it gets hot, everybody copies, and then you flood the market with it. And once you flood the market, people burn out with it, and then you've got to come up with a new concept yeah. to, to, to save things. And that's what this is is... is Wrestling right now on cable is strong just because it's so hard to get lots of viewers to cable shows. And wrestling, because of its history being sort of a sport, has a very consistent audience. But then they've done, there's so much product that you burn people out. So, so you're, you're having that effect. But even with burning people out, the number you're at right now is still a very good number based on what everybody else in cable is drawing. If you keep going down 20% a year... That's a scary thing, yeah. and and um, so so there is there is that aspect of it. But they're making so much money, and and and, and they're becoming fixtures in culture at a way they've never been before. Um, so it's like I almost think that like they're good they're good as gold for you know nothing's forever, but for a long 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 time. So I don't really worry about it, but I do think that like the the amount of and, and some of the TV decline also is people watching another means, but but you still have the attendance decline, you know, I mean, and that, that's just, you know, that, and that's a better barometer. That's Vince's barometer in a lot of ways is when he looks at the attendance and, and that, you know, that's a real decline, but it's not, that's not as big a decline. It's more of a very slow decline, but still, do you want slow declines every year? Yeah. Mm, you know, I mean, you, you were, you, you know, you remember when there was the, when WWE house shows did 12,000 people on average, and now it's 4,000. Yeah. It's a big difference over time, but it's also over 20 years. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't want to call them a threat, but do you think that AEW can have an impact on the WWE, at least with challenging them to be have a better product and also giving these boys, the boys uh, and, and women, I should say, more options? It's going to help the pay scale for everyone yeah. because there's competition for the talent. So that's very good, um, as long as they're viable. And... Um, let me see. As far as creatively, if AEW comes up with a concept that's good, WWE will probably try to follow along with it. Mm-hmm. You've already seen more of an emphasis on, on men's tag teams already because they know that AEW is going to focus heavily on men's tag teams. Um, you've already seen an emphasis on longer, better matches because they know AEW is going to be about better matches. So in a sense, I feel that they're trying to beat AEW to the punch because AEW has no TV with what they presume AEW will have as strengths and have those strengths by whenever they start TV to where AEW doesn't corner the market on tag teams or great matches on television every week. So I, I, yes, we've already seen, we've already seen, um, we've already seen changes because of it. And, and yeah, that's, that's what it is. And it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm I'm really excited about uh, seeing what's happening. Uh, Dave, before I let you go, um, can you give me your three all-time matches? And I don't know if it necessarily has to do with having the most stars, but just for yourself personally, 
Are there three that, that uh, you can give me that really stand out? Well, Omega and Okada from uh, the June uh, Dominion show was the best match I've ever seen. Oh, um, really? Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Uh-huh. That, that's in, that was in a class above any match I've ever seen. Um, the Omega-Okada match the year before at Dominion would probably be my second best. And then as far as third, there's, there's really a lot of different ones. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really go with a straight third. But most of the ones I would say would still be matches I've seen in the last five years, or I mean, really? really the last two or three years. Yeah, because because you get so many of these young guys that um, they're so you know they're so into having these great matches. Um, so I mean, it's a it's a stylistic thing. But yeah, I mean, I've seen wonderful, wonderful matches you know every year since the beginning of time. But I would say in the last three years, especially really? 2018, um, as far as numbers of great matches. I think someone actually did a table, and in the early 90s, there was a lot, like early 90s, there was a lot, a lot of great matches all over the world, and and then it kind of went down, you know, like that early 90s period, and especially like in Japan and everything, guys got hurt, and guys got older, and just the business moved, changed in certain ways, and then like from 2016, it really started coming back to what I, you know, like near record levels, and last year was really the record level, I mean, when you talk about the kind of matches they were having in Europe and in, in, in the United States, especially on the indie scene, um, and, um, you know, obviously Japan. Um, it's, it's, you can't even put this way. There were matches that I would have died to see that I can't even keep up with. And everyone says that to me. It's like, we can't even keep up with the four-and-a-half-star matches or so many of them. And it's like, you know, it's, and it's not being easier because if I watch old matches that I thought were great, go, I would go like, you know, this, they're, they're still great. Yeah. But... My God, have we evolved, and, and it, it almost makes you go like, this, this talent that we have now as far as producing matches and, and athletically and then the thought process going into the matches. Because, you know, before, guys, they're, you look, they're, you're working 300 nights a, a year. Yeah. So you're, you're just trying to have good matches every night and things like that. But when you're working a lot less dates and you can focus, I've got this one match, and I'm, this, this one match is it, and I'm only wrestling one match in, you know, in a week you're going to have a better match because you're so focused on it. And that's what I think a lot of people, oh, you're, you know, why is it, you know, like this? And it's like, because number one, everyone's learned from the past and everyone's got access because before, like to study, you'd have to go and get a videotapes. Now it's like you push a button on your computer and you can watch any great match. And it's like, I want to, and, and if you're a, a thinking wrestler, you can learn from that match. Even if it's like, well, I didn't like it, but there's always something to learn. And the more you learn, and the less you wrestle and you can focus on individual matches, the better your matches are going to be. And that's, that's the environment of today's wrestling. And some people, like, I don't think that they really get that. It's like it's natural evolution. It's not, it's not, um, it's not a, a, a knock on the past. Some people, like, take this as some knock on the past, and it's, it's not. It's just natural evolution is going to bring this. And it's, it's you know, again, I don't know if this year is going to be like last year, and I don't think it will. But, but um Ten years from now, it's going to be the same thing. These guys are going to be doing athletic stuff that we can't even conceive of, and they're going to be telling stories, which a lot of people like, oh, they don't tell stories, and it's like, yeah, they do. They do. It's different stories, you know, and, and because it's different fans. But, yeah, they're going to, these guys, the guys that are starting out now, that are watching these guys now, 
they're going to be way better than the guys now. That's just that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Does it concern you though? Some of these matches we see that just it's spots and these guys, you know, couple, jumping off, you know, one story. I mean, uh, you know, doing flips. Oh, I, and, I, 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 you know, the, the the bad side of what I just yeah, said is right. I just watched a match last night that was a phenomenal match with Kotobushi and Tetsuya Naito, and I was just so concerned with the the. the they, the, the damage these guys are doing to their necks. Yeah. You know, I really worry about head, head and neck. Yeah, no, no. The, the, that's absolutely part of that thing that, that that mentality is. Is what you can do great athletic stuff that's safe yeah. um, or minimal risk. I mean, there's always risk, but some stuff to me, there's some moves where you're you know you're taking really bad falls right on your neck. Yeah. I I get scared about that because you know look at how many guys have had neck surgeries and things like that and. You do want to have long careers, so yes, I'm absolutely concerned about, um, you know, the the, the guys t- who take it too far, and then like the spots. You know, that depends on the audience. You know, if you're doing spot, 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 and and it's not registering with the audience, then you're doing it wrong. If it is, then you're doing it, then you're doing it right, and it's what the audience wants. And in the end, it's the style that, you know, the audience just, d- d- you know, the audience likes uh, are going to determine a lot of the style as well because. If you're a wrestler and you're going in the ring and you're doing something and the people aren't reacting, you're probably going to throw that out of your repertoire. If the people are going crazy, you're probably going to do it the next 10 nights you wrestle. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's amazing to see, and, and I love seeing the you know the great matches, but also, like you said, you got to tell a story, too. Um, well, that's the, main, that's, that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how much is MMA part of your life, too? I know that uh, that's something else that you've uh, also done a lot of covering uh, these different organizations. How much does yeah, that take? Yeah, I, what you're I doing? started that from I started that from day one in '93, yeah. and I'm actually the longest American MMA reporter because I started long before any of these guys. Hmm. But because of wrestling, MMA is very you know. A couple of years back, I, I kind of treated them as as equal, especially when MMA was really really hot, and also was hot with the wrestling audience when Lesnar was there and things like that. Yeah. Now it's um, I mean, it, it, wrestling is definitely number one priority. But I, I watch every UFC. I still write for MMA Fighting. I still cover the business of MMA probably as close as anybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, MMA is definitely a, a big part of my life, yes. All right, so how can folks, if they want to uh, get up on the latest of what's happening in the world of the professional wrestling, uh, how can they do that today? <laughs> Just go to www.wrestlingobserver.com, and um, we, do, we have a, a service. We have podcasts, uh, uh-huh. tons of podcasts. Um, you know, it's, it's a subscription model and we get, uh, we have two newsletters that come out, actually three newsletters that come out a week. We have a Monday newsletter, which is actually a history newsletter from 17, 18 years ago. You can see exactly what happened then and, and how it went down. Uh, and then there's a uh, figure four weekly, which we still do. And then the observer, which comes out every Wednesday, late, late, late Wednesday night. So basically for most people, Thursday morning, um, and it covers everything that's gone on in the week. We mix history with current stuff, we've got match reviews, we've got news, we've got business, um, and there's never, you know, I'm always editing it down, I'm, not, I'm never editing it up, there's always too much in a week, I'll tell you that, but, you know, that's the nature of the beast right now. Still doing 100 hour weeks, I bet. <laughs> pretty pretty <laughs> never much, stopped. Yeah. Well, Dave, yeah. thank you so much, I know you're busy, thanks for taking the time out, and I'm glad that we got a chance to catch up. Am I going to see you in Vegas at StarCast, you going to go to this one? I'm going to be at StarCast, yeah. It was great seeing you. At, I saw you at Wally Mania. Yeah. Uh, we were just, me and my friend were just talking about, uh, we saw you a year ago at Wally Mania, and Wally Mania is coming up again this year. So yeah. that's where, yeah, it was really cool. Well, uh, and I will see you in Vegas too. So awesome. Cool.
Great, right. to, it was really great talking to you. All right, Dave. See you soon. Take care, my friend. Okay, you take care too. All right, I really, really enjoyed that conversation with Dave Meltzer. Uh, he's taken a lot of heat over the years. He still gets it today, but one thing you cannot question is Dave's commitment over the years to uh, cover professional wrestling, and he really uh, has become the wrestling historian, as he mentioned in our conversation. It wasn't really what he set out to do, but um, you know, he still gets the dirt, even though it's through the Internet now. Uh, although many may miss that uh, those pages with all of that tiny, tiny type on it. But uh, really, what a, a spectacular career. And also, he covers MMA as well. So uh, plan to see Dave down the road. Um, really enjoyed having him on. Hey, if uh, you haven't checked out our fantastic T-shirt collection, guys uh, and gals, uh, do it. I mean, there's some uh, really, really great T-shirts on, uh, on the collection, the PTSM collection, and it is a, a fantastic way to help support the show. And you can do that. Check them out. Just go to MooneyTees.com. And we are definitely having some fun on Patreon. Uh, our own March Madness, Casey Dronebeck came up with this, and uh, it's really, it uh, seems to be uh, really kind of taking off. Uh, we're calling it, uh, instead of March Madness, it's Mooney Madness, even though it's in March. Uh, selecting the 64 best episodes of PTSM and whittling down through the brackets. And uh, Casey, are you there? I want to ask you about this, uh, because I know that uh, you, you've helped put this together. Are, are we getting a big reaction? Oh, yeah. Huge. Uh out of the 70 or so people that we uh, uh, have on Patreon, a good portion of them have voted already. And there's been a bunch of comments on it as well. And people are voting. People love the idea. It was a great idea. So how's it, how's it going to work? I mean, you're going to, you're going to, we almost, we're almost to what? We're almost to a hundred. We're getting close. So uh, you whittle it down to the 64 best and then what? And then we pit them together. People can vote on them. Um, you know, we like we have matchups like, for instance, the PCO episode going up against Danny Davis or Brian Knobs versus Tim White. And people go on the site. Uh, once you sign up for Patreon, people go on the site and they can vote for the one that they want. And whoever wins that vote goes on to the next round, goes on to the next round. And Ooh. yeah, so that's that's basically what it is. Have we come up with a grand prize and like after the final four and the, and the championship, are we going to? We, oh, we have, have not. We should have final four prizes or something for people. We have we gotta... not, but okay. I think it's a great idea. I think that you know, especially uh, if if one of our Legion of Who's maybe wins, uh, yes. we can we can give them a nice little. I'm not sure what we would do yet, but we can give them a nice little prize. You know, well, we got to do something for our for our listeners. So we got to come up with a way that uh, you know. Somehow we'll figure it out. We're yep. going to come up with something so that we have prizes for for our listeners. Yep, our our Patreon members. Yes. Uh, uh, another thing, uh, since I have you here, Casey, um, you know, Colt Cabana has been out there. We've had poll after poll, <laughs> and, and really, is uh, next time are we going to bring out? Uh, we're going to uh, have Colt out there. Is is or has he already won the next poll? How, where, where where is that situation? Because I I think it was a really great podcast. A great conversation, and I think that uh, Colt should be our next featured guest on PTSM. It was an amazing episode, and I'll tell you something. It's funny to me that he keeps coming up short. We, you know, just a little. We yeah. we we love Colt. Don't get us wrong. Yes. 
but we also have all these amazing guests, Rob Bartlett, Dave Meltzer, all these guys. And for whatever whatever reason, Colt just kind of gets, you know, they're, uh, he just misses just by an inch, you know. Oh. And there's a lot of people on Patreon talking about, I hope Colt wins, I hope Colt wins, and he doesn't. So I think we should make an executive decision. Yeah. And we'll we'll run the Colt episode next week. Okay. Okay. I think you I think you just made that executive decision. Think... So, folks, uh, you're going to hear from Colt, and um, really, he's such a great story. And, and no disrespect, of course, to my good friend Conrad Thompson as the the Podfather, but Colt it was one of the first guys who, you know, uh, started doing podcasts with uh, you know wrestling as as the as its base. And he's been at it for a long time and has quite a following, and he's evolved along the way. And you'll hear more about that. And, of course, the, his wrestling career. So that's uh, it's a great episode. You're not, you're, you're not going to be uh, let down at all. Uh, we, we will deliver, uh, as usual. So uh, Cole Cabana is going to be our guest next week. Uh, guys, uh, folks, I am going to be making calls this week. And, uh, you know, for those that I've already tried to call and others that with our new members, we've got uh, a, a good sized number of new listeners, uh, Patreon members, and I'm going to be trying to get a hold of you. So please keep that in mind. And remember, when it comes up, but no ID, it's probably me. That's the slogan here, because I think it comes up as either it says restricted or unknown or something. That's probably Mooney. If it's a robocall, sorry, <laughs> but. But uh, I am going to be making a bunch of calls this week. I've got pictures out to our new members, our new Patreon members. So watch the mailbox. Uh, Mario Ballantyne. Mario, I'm so sorry. Uh, and uh, Dan Lutzka. I, I screwed up the when I sent this out. Now, Mario is supposed to get the uh, Coliseum World Tour video. And Dan was supposed to get the StarCast shirt. And I sent the StarCast shirt to Mario. And I think everybody's good. I think Mario likes getting the shirt. But, uh, Dan, <laughs> we got to come up with something that are go it's going to fix that. If you want the World Tour tape, I will be more than happy to send that to you. But let me know. Email me at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com, and let's get this all straightened out. But I don't know. It's uh, my dyslexia or old age. I don't know what to attribute it to because Evan, Evan told me. Text me, and uh, I screwed up the addresses. So, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna get it fixed. Uh, so, in the meantime, keep listening, uh, keep watching uh, what's going on with Facebook, and also our Instagram, and uh, you know you can get us there uh, as well as with our, our Twitter uh, at uh, Primetime Mooney at Primetime Mooney, and of course you can email me um, Primetime Mooney at gmail.com. But uh, a lot happening with PTSM, and it just keeps rolling. I'm getting really excited uh, uh, that what's happening at StarCast, which is going to take place that weekend of May 25th. Uh, I'm hearing more details. I've talked to Conrad a couple of times, so we've, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I am going to be your eyes and ears at that tremendous event. Uh, it's still There's still the buzz out there about AEW. It's just crazy. So in the meantime, folks, more great episodes on the way and so much more with Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Until next time, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. <laughs>